यूनिकॉर्न the idea was to make a difference uh now i am i am in education but i'm still serving those guys who already have a lot of options uh and i think uh, smita was doing this uh, uh not for profit amongst anganwadis uh so it wasn't like a one event but i think it was a series of uh, self reflections and conversation to say that uh if we have to commit the next 10 15 years of our life and uh, then you know let's do it in a place where there is uh, there is a intersection of point of need and point of opportunity education is the most powerful weapon to change the world in this episode of founder thesis akshay that talks to the husband wife duo of sumit and smita who are revolutionizing affordable education in india through their venture league school greatly influenced by his father who was passionate about teaching Smith quit a lucrative career abroad and dived into the field of education. His passion to create an impact is perfectly complemented by Smitha's deep insight into early learning that she learned as a mom herself who managed to teach her 1-year-old to read. Listen to this fascinating conversation as Sumit and Smitha talk about their journey and endeavors to transform education one school at a time. Hi I'm Sumit Hi I'm Smita and we are co-founders of Lead School. So uh Sumit let me start with you first and uh, there was a lot of influence of your father on what you have built today in Lead School. So can you tell me about uh, your growing up years your early childhood and your father and how that influenced you? Uh see I I grew up in this small town called Pathan Kot in Punjab. and uh, to be honest when i was growing up it wasn't apparent to me that there was something missing or there was something wrong because i seemed to be going to one of the best schools in pathankot uh, my father was a professor in english in in a college and my mother was the teacher in the same school that i went to uh, but my you know my father was fairly atypical for for his times and uh teaching and learning used to be a dinner table conversation at our house almost every day so he would come back and narrate what happened in his classroom and you know i was a young child and i could see that for him his classroom was like a theater you know where he would perform uh and uh when i would go with him to different places uh, like you know to a post office or a bank i would see random people stand up come and you know touch his feet and he he seemed to uh, have a lot of uh, people who used to regard him very highly and then at the dinner table you know he would pick up random things like something which stick with me still are you know uh, we would be having a roti and he would kind of tear it in half and say uh, i don't know why they teach fractions in schools uh, by writing 1 above 2 they should show that how one becomes half and this half is what is 1 by 2 he would cut an apple in three pieces and ask us whether it is 1/3 or 
one half or one fourth. Uh, so a lot of, uh, you know, I think my learning during my childhood actually happened more at home than in, in my school. Uh, and because he was very passionate about education and uh, there was a lot of conversation about education, it became an important uh, part of my life. I, I still remember, I think we must have been the only household in, in Pathankot to have a library in our home. Uh, and I ended up reading Shakespeare when I was in class 5, 6, 7. I, I don't know how much I understood, but I would just, I think my habit of reading actually came from him uh, and my understanding of what happened in the classroom actually came from him much before I uh, began to truly understand it. So, uh, Smita, uh, I'd like to hear about your early childhood influences also. What kind of family do you come from? Tell me about your parents. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's as I was uh, hearing Sumit, I realized that actually there were a lot of early influences uh, as far as education is concerned. Uh, I hadn't really reflected on it earlier. Uh, but yeah, my, my parents basically come from uh, UP. My father particularly comes from a very, very small village in UP. Uh, he was the 10th child uh, amongst 11 children. So pretty much raised by his siblings, actually. And uh, then studied uh, in uh, BHU. So, you know, he was the one, I think, amongst all the siblings who sort of made his way out to a bigger city. And my mother came from actually a fairly uh, wealthy family in uh, in Gorakhpur, uh, but you know, uh, for for that for that time, uh, uh, you know, her father was very progressive, and uh, she was the only girl child actually I think in the family who went and did masters and studied. You know, so I think for both my parents, by the time they had uh, they had me, and uh, I have a younger brother. Uh, uh, when they had us, I think education was a very like it was it was a very important thing for them. And was your mother educated as well? Like, yeah, yeah. So, so my mother was like an MA in English, and she in fact did her MA after marriage. Um, so you know, for for her, it was a matter of pride that she was the only uh, girl child who was so educated. In Marwadi families, girls were not that educated at that time. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the reason why my grandfather chose my father was, you know, more than money for him. It was about uh, an, an, educa you know, an ed educated guy who is living in the city because that's a better life for my daughter. And I think that was, you know, when I think back, with I, I actually had a great relationship with my grandfather till the time he was alive because I always felt that he was too, he was very progressive for that time to have thought like that about his daughter, you know. So for both my parents, their, it was their life's mission to provide the best education to me and my brother. Uh, and I think that's the context in which I grew up. Let, yeah. Let's uh, go to the, uh, you know, moving from PWC to PNG, where you met Sumit. Well, my day one of PNG, I met Sumit. Uh, wow. But... So Sumit, let me bring you into the conversation. Do you also recall... Uh, meeting Smita on her day one like had you already joined when she joined yeah uh, so I joined in uh, in the May of 2019 and I think Smita joined in December we were in the in the laundry business and the finance partner who was working in in our team uh, he had decided to move on and uh, I recall he mentioned okay you know I'm 
I'm going to move and uh, there's another person who is joining. So I'm going to hand over to her. So why don't you also come because the marketing sections you can take. Uh, and this was on a weekend. So grudgingly, I went to office on a weekend, you know, for it this. It was a Sunday. Was it Sunday? Yeah. My first day was a Sunday. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. I, I remember it was a week. Yeah. So I went there and then, I, um, yeah, I think very, uh, it's very movish. You know, I recall her walking into the door. Uh, and walking across my cubicle and I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, so I did not mind uh, uh, I did not mind him leaving because uh, Sumi, the, replacement, in- the replacement was more interesting. Sumi, this is interesting. She is interesting, which will be a better way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. And uh, did, did you also like find Sumit interesting in that first meeting? No, I'm sorry, no. <laughs> I don't think, uh, no, I was, it, it was, for me, it was, you know, PNG was like, uh, my first job, it's a big company, and this guy calls me on a Sunday, and, uh, you know, you expect the offices to be, like, really nice and fancy, uh, and, and, you know, I used to go to a lot of client offices, which were actually really good, and I entered office on Sunday, in any case, it was damn gloomy, plus this particular office was terribly messy. Uh, it felt like a, you know, slightly cleaner version of a government daftar. And I was like, what am I walking into? Uh, but my only uh, solace then was that all of these guys are from, you know, the various IAM. So I'm sure it's a place with smart people and I learned something. So, but that said, I was focused on learning that day. I don't think I paid attention to uh, anyone else. For that matter, I knew there were two, three people in office and that's about it. Yeah. So maybe you could both like weave in and out and tell me about your journey with PNG. Yeah, no, I think it will be good for me to talk about Smita and she to talk about me, I think. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so Smita was super focused. I think she uh, is used or was used to uh, being really good at work. And we used to goof around because we had just come out of campus and, you know, uh, didn't have a very strong work ethic, uh, but Smita was used to be super focused. So it was great to have her in the team as the finance person because you know uh, um, she would be uh, very kind of focused and get the outcomes. And uh, I remember uh, we we worked together only for a short period of time, uh, but in that short period of time, uh, see in in PNG uh, marketing or brand kind of believes that they are the core function. Everybody is supporting. Uh, whether it is true or not doesn't matter. Uh, so, and then fi- for a finance person to basically stand up and drive strategy was not normal. But Smita used to do that. So we used to both uh, dislike her guts, but also respect her uh, ability. Uh, so that was uh, the time when we used to work together. I think after that, I moved to another uh, stint and another office and, and she continued. And I was in PNG India for a very short uh, period of time, I moved to Singapore uh, hmm. okay. uh, after about six to nine months, I think, or maybe yeah, nine months to a year. Uh, and I think uh, in yeah. those six to nine months, had you made enough of an impression for the relationship to continue once you moved on? Uh, I think before I moved to Singapore, uh, we at least had, yeah, we had figured that, yeah, we liked each other. Uh, okay. Yeah, so you could say uh, I did well. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think to uh, you know to tell a bit about Sumit of that time, and I think the Sumit of that time was very different uh, from the the person I eventually landed up uh, uh, sort of seriously dating and then getting married to. But I think that that phase, as as Sumit was saying, you know, so. uh see i i came from i had already worked for 3 3 and a half years in a fair in a very professional environment you know i had an impression of people who come from the iims and somehow sumit and a few of the others who were there didn't fit into what were impressions that were i mean that were assumptions honestly in my head because i didn't have any friends from there but yeah these guys were a lot more chilled out and casual and i think some of the some of uh the early friendship not only with sumit but a few common friends that we had was that it's okay to, to you know to chill also a little bit it's okay to take a bit of a break because i was just very serious very focused so i think they used to find me boring i'm sure there were jokes behind my back um uh but uh, yeah so i i think sumit at that time was not as focused i would think i would say i often used to feel that hey there's a lot of caliber which is not getting used why would you do that uh, to yourself because what whatever work you are showcasing here you're definitely far better than this uh, we we became friends i mean we had some common friends uh, uh, and and you know once we stopped working together in uh, laundry business as sumit was talking about he moved on i think you moved to healthcare right sumit yeah i moved to yeah, healthcare so he moved to healthcare and i was working across a portfolio of brands because finance teams are smaller um so i was working across a portfolio uh, and i was no longer working with healthcare so we were not working together um and but so we would just meet because we had common friends and i my early impressions were that here is a really smart guy and a good guy like i you know uh, uh, a nice human being but i felt there was unrealized potential or i felt that hey why are you spending so much time just goofing around you know why not work a little harder so i think we were very we were we were poles apart in in this i think when sumit had a interesting crucible event i think i will let sumit talk about it <laughs> and things changed after that things dramatically changed But what one quick question before Sumit the pleasure? So what made you like him? Okay, that is that is a very tough question to answer. Actually, I think it was, uh, it was, uh, it was not thought through at all. <laughs> we were good friends, and uh, you know the conversations were, yeah, I, you know the conversations were intellectual. Uh, he's a. I also felt that he was very. Uh, is a very principled kind of person so there was uh, you know there was uh, there was a very strong belief system and heart to everything that he was doing or not doing so while there was this casual approach on the surface deep deeper inside is very very uh, uh, serious and uh, wanting to make a difference to the world i think i i admired that uh, and and that uh, stood out uh, once i got to know him a little better it, it looked like okay you know this uh, faffing around is more on the surface it's not real uh, and 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 that's where i started realizing that hey listen why are you wasting your time uh, you know doing this okay so sumit so uh, what happened that transformed you from casual to focused 
Yeah. See, I think uh, uh, the the reason I was casual, honestly, uh, and I've now now realized is that uh, you know very often basically this shield that we put in front of ourselves, you know, of not wanting to get hurt. So you basically act as if you don't care. Uh, but broadly, from right from Chandigarh, Ahmedabad, and in Mumbai, uh, because you know I had experienced that people. Uh, either had better exposure you know i had a chip on my shoulder about uh, coming from a small town not having had the same uh, pedigree or background and stuff uh, so one way was to kind of work hard and one second way was to just basically show that you don't care uh, and fundamentally i think there was a basic level of uh, smarts and capability which would get you by you know so whether it is getting into png or working through png so i was getting by Uh, without having to work very hard so we moved to singapore and when we moved to singapore people from different countries had moved to what was called the global business unit and when everyone went there then they realized that there was a lot of kind of duplication and there was a opportunity to kind of uh, uh, reduce some amount of headcount uh, so i recall there was like a a period when uh, the managing directors or the marketing directors got together and they went through all the uh, we were assistant brand managers at that time to look at who stays and who goes uh, and it's it's almost like shark tank you know so I, i i remember every day one of our abms would be called inside this room it would be spoken to and when they come out uh, you know we had this hand signal if thumbs up means i'm in and thumbs down means i'm i'm not in and then we would go down the elevator quietly because we didn't know who was around us and then we, there was this coffee shop we would go either celebrate or commiserate and this happened for like 2 3 weeks because there were those many to go by so when my chance came i went in and uh i i think that's been one of the one of my life changing conversations so shirish who was our marketing director sat me down and said sumit uh, we had a conversation about you and you know uh, x person had some good things to say about you there were some questions uh, on balance we realized that you've done well so we would like you to continue uh so i was hearing my sigh of relief uh, okay oh, okay you know it's it's cool and then he said uh, but sumit i want you to be a person about whom there is never a conversation it should always be a yes uh and it just struck me like a bolt of lightning that this is the kind of person i want to be and i think since then basically i yeah i just made a decision that whatever i do i'm going to excel and not have anyone the chance to ever question uh so i think that was the turning point in my life when i still i still every year during teachers day during guru purnima uh, thank shirish for that one conversation so both of you did quite well at png in terms of the portfolios that you were handling uh, tell me about that journey and uh, you know till sumit decided to quit first i think uh, to be honest smita did far better in png than i did uh, and you know even if i leave aside the first two years where i was kind of uh, coasting uh, but w- the one thing that i feel uh, you know uh, i i did really really well was this healthcare stint you know when i was handling healthcare for asia pacific i, I think my, what what I, what i realized about myself was that doing things uh, differently and things which were not done kind of gave me the kicks and that's where i i thrived 
normal assignments i didn't have a lot of fun so so what made you want to leave the world of fmcg and enter education you know the the, the best way to capture this is my father used to say that there is something uh, wrong with you you know you carry a sense of uh, he used to call it divine discontentment he said you never satisfied <laughs> with status quo you always want to change things uh, why is it uh, honestly for me uh, i always had this thing about uh, okay, we we've, we've got to uh, we've got to do something meaningful uh, and there are a couple of things which actually came together you know i I, I remember I had come back from Singapore to Pathan Court, and my niece by that time was in grade eight, I think, uh, and she was uh, she was studying. You know, so, and as an indulgent uh, uncle, I basically asked her to give her book, and I started asking her questions. And to one of the questions, she said, "Ye syllabus mein nahi hai." So I said, "Yeah, uh, syllabus mein nahi hai. It's okay, but life is not about syllabus, no." She said, "No, in our school, basically." if it is not in the syllabus it's not important uh and you know it got me thinking ke you know she is in this small well in pathan court doesn't have any idea about what's going to hit us hit her when she goes out and things haven't changed in the last like you know 20 years uh since i left school so it kind of brought back all the uh, old memories of you know uh, i could see her repeating the same journey uh at the same time uh, around the same time my father had Uh, retired and he had taken up this role uh, with this chain of schools called sarvhitkari so his role was to uh, he was the secretary so he would go around school from school to school doing inspections and then giving them some ideas on how to improve and stuff so when i would visit i would this was like a private chain private chain yeah uh, so i would accompany him uh, and you know again uh, I, I, he would be talking to the principal i would sit in the classroom and see what was happening and same thing you know teacher is basically with her back to the students writing on the wall students are copying by that time we were in singapore so we were also exposed to better uh, kind of you know learning i was like i told you always interested so i was reading a lot in terms of you know howard gardner or piaget or uh, uh, schools that learn to really figure out what was happening around the world so i would tell my father ki ye kya chal raha hai matlab you know these guys are still teaching the way teaching used to be 20 years back and stuff I think one day he kind of snapped and said, "Agar itna problem hai, to kuch aake karte kyon nahi?" And I think so, a lot of these kind of came together. And I told PNG that I'm not having fun. I want to basically want to do and go and figure out what I want to do. So, and PNG is a, I mean, if you're doing well, PNG is a tough company to leave. So, and they're very, 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 very. Uh, it's a really good place to work, right? So my manager said, "Don't leave. Take a break and go figure out." So I took a sabbatical and came back to India. and I, the idea was to try out different things to see what do i really want to do so that's where we did some experiments in education so uh, we ran this program called beyond books the idea was you know can we take learning outside of the traditional books and see if it can be more engaging i mean now when you say we what does we mean here so when i was in uh, singapore thinking about the sabbatical me and smita put together this curriculum uh, then i came early and then uh, smita also took a couple of months off uh, so when we ran this program we ran this program together in addition to this program i also was teaching uh, marketing in symbiosis i took a, a visiting faculty uh, assignment and i was teaching both scm hrd and sibm uh, 
and then i was also helping another friend uh set up so i was trying my hands at different things to really figure out what do i want to do and a couple of things actually helped me make my decision i think one was the beyond books camp was a great success i mean we had these uh, smita was it 18 kids or 12 kids i i forget yeah, I, the number yeah even i forget i think 15 18 kids 15 kids yeah so we took them to this place called dhalauzi near pathankot uh, some and they were they had come from four five different schools and uh, I, i i think what 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 i at least experienced was that i had a lot of fun uh, working with these kids they had a lot of fun they learned a lot they didn't want to go back and i could see that okay there is something here uh, which i really enjoy and then i was teaching and you know i love teaching but in symbiosis uh, i i remember i gave them a case study and after a week when we went back for their presentations uh, smita had joined me for that presentation midway through those presentations i turned to her and said ke yaar this problem is not now this is basically poor plumbing from school days uh, so if we have to make a difference we've got to go back to school higher ed may we should not so it made my decision clear that i want to basically commit to schooling within education not higher ed or something else uh, so so that sabbatical was in helpful in figuring out what i wanted to do uh, but you know uh, we needed to i mean we didn't have enough money at that time and i hadn't really figured out so mohit called me and said it's been 5 6 months i have a great assignment you come back uh so i went back to png and took up this uh, beauty care asia pacific role but i think in my heart i was done so after about a year in png then i said yeah it's not going to be possible for me to figure out while being in png because you know we are high achievement orientation if i'm in png i'm going to really be working 12 13 hours here i will not have time to figure out so i quit and then was very keen to do something in education yeah so I, i was actually in two minds to start on my own or do something and then a common friend same uh, uh, manish chacha you know the manish chokhani who smita spoke about uh, she said he said you know why don't you meet uh, subhash chandra he has something in education and i had no clue that you know they had anything in education so i came i flew down from singapore met uh, subhash ji and he said why don't you go and look what we're doing so i went looked at zilearn met the people there saw what they were doing and then i wrote back to him saying i think this is what uh, uh, you are doing and this is what more can be done because you know they were only in early childhood and i realized that early childhood is really important from an education perspective very low penetration in india very low awareness on the importance of early childhood so there is a lot to be done but beyond early childhood you know you got to give the students a path to really go towards kind of uh, college so the whole k12 path has to be added Uh, so i wrote back to him and then i i went to singapore uh, we were kind of wrapping up uh, and then after about 20 25 days he called and said you know uh, i saw what you sent why don't you come and run the company uh, to my mind i think it was it was good because it it would have given me a good chance to understand india education i mean i i had read about the theory i was self taught but it was a good uh, opportunity for me to now put it into practice at a scale which will uh, be impactful so so that's what got us to move back to india uh, and i took up the role had of... you become a father by then when you no, got so, the offer from z no 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 so zoya was born in india uh, we came back to india and then uh, zoya was born uh, yeah so i think that's when the five years stint in zealand started in in fact there's an interesting story there akshay with uh, sumit quitting and uh... 
us expecting our first child so yeah so uh, so yeah so sumit sumit spoke about uh, you know uh, his desire to move back and so he left png i was still uh, with png and he you know he we was we were in singapore and he was figuring out what to do and he was connecting with people and you know one of the people he connected with in that context i got him connected with manisha cha and uh, you know we used to talk a lot with manisha cha about education every time he visited singapore uh and uh, and and that's how you know he was exploring that um i think the day he left uh, he put in his papers uh maybe two weeks later we found out that i'm expecting and i remember this uh, very uh, uh you know very uh, stressed conversation a stressed period that we went through it was an evening we were walking you know we, we used to live close to the bay uh, in singapore and we were walking and so we was like hey we're expecting a kid and you think it's a bad time for me to leave you know leave png and you know because we'll have responsibilities and this and that and and we spoke and i said you know i, I think we'll be uh we uh you know we we need to enjoy having our baby and uh, the the child cannot come in the way of uh, either one of us feeling that what we really wanted to pursue we couldn't uh we have enough savings and we'll figure this out because we're in this together and uh, because he was he was almost considering going back and speaking to mohit saying that hey i'm i'm taking back my resignation uh but uh, but yeah he decided to uh, still leave uh, png um and yeah and, and we worked that out and i worked out a transfer with png uh, though my boss was super super pissed with me because i had just been promoted and when i told him that hey sumit has left he went and spoke to sumit's boss and told him that you have to ask this guy to stay because i can't let swetha go to india and i have not promoted her for this you know and he was really really upset and i think it was coming from a place of care but i can totally imagine i mean if i was in this place i would be super upset too that hey i i i put so much of effort i you know ad ad promotions were not a small thing it it required regional approvals and he got me uh, you know i i was i was promoted to ad and i was made uh, region treasury uh, associate director uh, it was a pretty big role and now suddenly i said my husband is leaving uh i'm having a baby and i want to move back to india and they were like what are you you know <laughs> what are you telling us but you know they actually they actually made it work for me and i think that's how great the company is that they said if that's your need uh, you know you relocate and you work out of india and we'll figure out a transition uh, you know let you hand over this role to someone else uh while we find another role for you in india and that's that's when we moved back october 2007 okay okay and uh, uh, so uh, like i think within a year of moving back you decided to quit png so why was that yeah so you know what happened was that uh, sumit's passion for education was always there and hence it was a it was a fairly normal topic of discussion between us uh you know always and whenever we went back to pathan code it was a very uh, you know it was a very uh, deep topic of discussion between him and his father and hence you know he would share a lot with me and that and when he when he took a sabbatical to experiment uh and and figure out how he can contribute uh in education i i supported him and i worked with him on that beyond books program i think that was my first time uh interacting with kids and actually thinking about education and i had fun i had a lot of fun i still didn't think of it as something that i want to 
you know commit my life to uh then the second thing you know the 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 next instance which was a few years later was when he wanted to move back uh you know as he was evaluating options of course we were discussing and i was also reading quite a bit uh and he decided to take up the z opportunity part of it also was that it it would be a role based out of mumbai uh and you know we were expecting zoya and my parents are in mumbai uh, uh you know so it even even i felt more comfortable moving here our our parents felt much more comfortable because they they were like at least one set of parents are close by uh you know and um, uh around that time uh sumit gave me a set of books written by glen doman which i think one of his friends re- uh, recommended which talks about how do you uh, how do you get uh, like how, how does brain development happen in young babies and what can parents do and mothers do to Uh, provide them a very engaging uh, learning environment and i think for me th- that book basically just completely uh, opened my eyes to all all that's possible with a young young child and and how a brain develops and i think ever since i've had a fascination for uh, reading about and researching on brain development and how does a human brain, brain respond to things and you know if 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 you want the human brain to learn something then how do you go about it and um, so so i think uh, i i i finished that series before zoya was born and i started a reading program with zoya when she was 6 months old uh, you know and uh, she became an independent reader by the time she was 3 years no one has ever read a book for her after that that's that was my interest in in education and so when i came back over here i think two things happened one was of course that uh, you know i was reading about all this and i wanted to spend a lot of time with zoya uh, I, i think uh, uh, a few years earlier when we used to talk as a couple about kids whether we want to have kids both of us had this uh, there, there was some consensus between the two of us that you know when we have kids one of us will leave uh, the you know our, our job and really spend time in uh, raising them and then we'll take turns it it just made sense for me to do it so that was playing on my mind and uh, and and png i i didn't see a career anymore in png india and i knew that now this is a choice you know this is a life choice we've made we're going to be here in india because he was very passionate about being being here and uh, and and if i'm not going back i mean if i'm not moving to any other country then you know uh, why should i spend time with png i might as well take the time and spend it with my daughter and that's when i left so and uh, so like there was like 3 years of being a full time stay at home mom yeah and it was uh, you know it was tough because I, i am just used to doing a lot of work so uh, but i think the i think the first time i saw a, an an early sign that uh, she actually can read even though she was just a 10 month old baby at that time 10 or 11 months old sumit so that's how young she was she was still crawling right or maybe yeah. a year she was just yeah. about a year and it's basically you know i i i i just had i just needed this for myself i needed to know whether i'm what i'm doing is working out uh and uh, i i thought if i tell sumi that he'll be super pissed with me because he'll be like how does it matter <laughs> you know she's a she, she's a kid and you're 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 doing what you're doing and and just be happy with that right so i in fact didn't tell him that i'm going to do this experiment and i actually put out a lot of word cards on the floor 
they didn't have pictures and they had big words like elephant and pigeon and penguin and all of that which i had taught her over a period of time and uh, i i just sat in one corner of the room and i would say the word and she would crawl to that word card she would pull it out and give it to me wow. and the first time she did it i was like oh this is like a fluke you know i mean come on and she just did that with some 30 words and i i think i i've never felt so successful in my life honestly akshay i think that was true success you know i was like hey this works uh and you know that evening when he came home i told him about it and you know he saw it and it worked and i think that's that's when uh, you know i i started thinking about hey listen these things work and this is not about any child being special or any child being gifted it is essentially we really underestimate the ability of uh, a young brain and we are not giving them uh, enough simulation and not the right sort of simulation and and there is this belief that children can read only after a certain age and well i have evidence in front of me that that's not true okay okay so sumit you had a pretty successful stint at zlearn uh, heading that business for uh, subhash chandra so you know uh, what made you want to move on and you know what did you learn in that stint which you wanted to apply in the next thing uh see i think uh, my my big learning uh, during that stint uh, akshay was that uh in i think what i was what i became aware of is that in india in indian education there are really three uh, strata that we're talking about you know the government school system is really different uh and then the high fee school system is different and then there is in the middle this affordable fee uh segment uh, and you know all these three their drivers uh, the the reason for the outcomes the, the reason why they are the way they are they're all so different and uh, i was really working on the higher segment the high fee segment you know kidzi and both mount litra they uh, they serve upper middle class and rich parents i think for me what happened was that i lost my dad in end 2009 uh, and that's when uh, basically i started to really you know my my sense is during these deep moments you start to question a lot of your assumptions and take a pause uh so through through 2010 i was pensive thinking about what am i doing uh and stuff and also started to realize that the reason i had moved back to india uh, you know i i might have taken zlearn because it seemed like the right thing but i think i have i have kind of lost my way because the idea was to make a difference uh now i am i am in education but i'm still serving those guys who already have a lot of options uh and i think uh, smita was doing this uh, uh, not for profit amongst anganwadis uh, so it wasn't like a one event but i think it was a series of uh, self reflections and conversation to say that uh, if we have to commit the next 10 15 years of our life uh, then you know let's do it in a place where there is uh, there is a intersection of point of need and point of opportunity i mean these terms now are clear at that time we were thinking here yeah, let's do something which is more meaningful uh and which actually makes impact versus just growing a business uh which you know, on the surface is in education but i mean we're not really serving those who really need it uh so i think the yeah the the genesis for us from this deep desire to make a difference uh and then yeah uh you know a couple of kind of events where i felt that uh you know my my personal principles were kind of beginning to clash with the corporate groups 
I thought it's it's a good time uh, to kind of uh, chart my own path. And then when I did, I think Smita was ready to kind of join, and then we both came together to set up Reach School. So, what was the non-profit like? Uh, what were you doing in that, Smita? I think I was in this space where I was wanting to now do more, and just not, uh, uh, you know, work with Zoya Nane. Uh, it was also getting quite, uh, yeah. I was, I was basically itching to get back to work. I was not happy just staying at home. Uh, there was a lot more time also that I had, and and I had by then read and experimented, a, you know, a lot with early childhood. Uh, development stuff mostly with uh, you know Zoya and also because Sumit was uh, you know uh, setting up preschools it was it was something that both of us used to read about what, at least in education there should be equity it should not be that you have you know one child has access to some form of education because they come from a well-off family and another child doesn't because otherwise how do you uplift people and how do you really, you know, bring uh, a common uh, level playing field for all children, uh, you know? And I think that that was a thought process that sort of started emerging in my head around 2010, 2011. Combination of stuff I was reading, what I was seeing. And I think it, the, there were one or two instances in, bed in which I actually just decided to go inside these municipal communities, these the slums and uh, see Anganwadis and I think what I saw really really shook me uh, you know where these three-year-old kids three-year-old babies were cleaning and there were no teaching learning aids they were just there with this basic midday meal the older kids were taking care of the younger kids you know I, I think that that sort of pinched and hurt quite a bit and I felt that hey listen what I know and what I can do with my kids it needs to be taken to more children and I can't let my learning and my life be about just raising two great kids. It has to be a lot more great kids. Um, and that's what got me into, uh, you know, setting up this nonprofit. So what, what I did essentially was uh, an, an early version of a school-in-a-box solution. So essentially started like, uh, you know, uh, uh, these Anganwadi centers. So these were existing Anganwadis and where I provided like a school in the box solution to the teacher, which was pretty much like this metal box in which there were teaching learning aids, which I'd put together in a research manner as a kit. And there was uh, like a curriculum um, uh, with scripted plans, lesson plans. Uh, they were written in Marathi, uh, but essentially it, it would help the teacher uh, teach English. Uh, how how does foundational learning happen was something that I was fairly well versed with by then, um, and uh, and I was able to implement this in around uh, sixteen Anganwadis in in two clusters uh, in Goregaon and in Chembur, uh, mostly through friends and just my personal time and a couple of friends who were also uh, sort of passionate about this, uh, you know, giving some of their time while they had other j uh, day jobs. Uh, so I did that. And, I, you know, those uh, one and a half, two years of doing this, uh, both, I think, uh, made me realize two things very deeply. One is that this gave me a lot of meaning in my life. And, and I was fairly convinced that this is what I want to commit myself to. Uh, but it also made me realize that I had very, I had... Uh, uh, you know, working with the government and the speed there and the bureaucracy there, 
you know, was really testing my patience and my commitment to the space. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I was just, I, I was myself now thinking of starting up a school or doing something on my own, uh, which did, which was more in the private sector, but working with low-income communities. And uh, around that time, you know, Sumit also decided to leave Z. So uh, I basically told him that, hey, listen, I think it's time for us to do this together. And, the you know, uh, we have all the family support. The kids are no longer that, that young. I think I had already spent four years staying out of work. Uh, Sumit, in fact, offered that, you know, we had a five-year, five-year deal. You've already done your five years with the kids. Why don't you take this forward and I'll stay at home and I'll take care of the kids. And uh, and, and I actually told him. Was that a genuine offer, Sumit? <laughs> I think it was a very genuine <laughs> offer. <laughs> you know, I think uh, in hindsight, I wish she had taken it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very because you know it's not he see it's not easy for him to work with me because I I drive people a lot so <laughs> because I work hard and he sees that like he there's no slack time for him but uh, I mean jokes apart no it was a it was a very genuine offer so tell me about the lead school journey see I think when we when we began uh, in in hindsight a lot of these ideas look uh, very crystal clear and stuff I think when we began. Uh, we were clear that we wanted to be in the school space and we wanted to set up our own school uh, or schools. Uh, but there was also this whole thing that, you know, setting up a school is like a project, you know, till the project gets off the ground, uh, you can't be sitting and twiddling your thumbs. Uh, so, and, and we are both very, uh, I think, uh, by now I also had become a person who needs to do something. So in 2012, we began uh, the the two theses that we had was one, uh, traditional learning, if it is just restricted to curriculum, is not enough. Uh, because ultimately, what we had seen in life was that if we are able to, if we can enable a child to become a leader of his life, which basically means be self-directed, self-motivated, intrinsic motivation, then a lot of things the children themselves can figure it out. Right. So we uh, were working on developing like a leadership model for education uh, for children, and at the same time, we were scouting for opportunities to set up a school. Uh, so one of our friends, you know, uh, who had reached out to me when I was in Z uh, for us to open a school at her property. And we had said no, because it was in a village and Z, uh, for Z, it would not have made sense. Now said, okay, you know, now that you're not working with Z, would you still consider? Uh, so yeah, in December 2012, I think we traveled to this village called Areri uh, near Mamdabad, which is about 35 kilometers from Ahmedabad. And uh, uh, her father had this property, uh, which is a piece of land where they were living adjacent to it. Uh, and we went around uh, like a 10, 20 kilometer radius of that place and visited all the schools. And what we saw convinced us was that here is uh, where, you know, the point of need kind of meets the point of opportunity because all these schools, even though some of them were English medium, really poor education, uh, you know, some were what they call semi-English medium where Half the class was Gujarati, half the class was English, but it was pretty much Gujarati. Uh, so we said, okay, you know, why don't we start from there? Uh, so our first school ended up being uh, Shantiniketan English School in this village called Areri. Uh, we started, we decided to go ahead in Jan, uh, and then we had to refurbish the dilapidated building into some uh, form of. Did you like relocate there, or no, uh, you would? I think no. So we decided to be based in Bombay. Uh, and I think that is, again, one of 
the good decisions we made because it forced us to design from a distance so that it could be replicable. If we had been in the school, in hindsight, again, uh, we would have created an island of excellence, but be so deeply embedded that it would have been solely dependent on us. Uh, so we hired staff, we designed the curriculum from Bombay, and then I and Sita both used to travel very often. I would travel almost every week or every fortnight. Uh, Sita would travel a little less frequently. Uh, so yeah, in 2012, April is when the school started. Uh, we had 14 kids come in the first day, one four. Uh, and uh, those first three years of running that school is where all our learning happened. Uh, we had a lot of failures uh, in the first year because we did what everyone else would have done in setting up a school. We, we thought of the best publishers. So we said, okay, let's buy Oxford books and we hired teachers and then we trained them. Uh, and then we said, okay, now magic will happen in the classroom. Right? And the first unit test results, when it came, we basically came down crushing because the results, the results were really poor. And then we started analyzing what are the issues here. Uh, and, and a couple of things which stood out was uh, in grade two or grade three, I remember uh, in math, basically, uh, you know, students were able to do uh, addition, but not able to do addition with carryover and not able to do word problems at all. Uh, and uh, and we we then were sitting in uh, the pre-primary classes where, you know, we had some books which were teaching the alphabet and stuff. And we realized that basically these students who were coming from non-English families, they had no context to uh, English. English was really, I mean, uh, in, in our families, you know, there is some semblance of familiarity with the phonology of English. You don't understand the script, but you understand, you understand the sound and language of it. These kids had none of those. So they had to cover a very different uh, journey. It couldn't be the journey that, you know, we were used to. And that led us to a lot of research on, you know, how English is learned uh, for non-English speakers, non-English uh, natives. Uh, and that's what ended up... Uh, uh, us creating this uh, program, which we now call ELGA. And I think Smita can talk a lot more because she's really developed this. Uh, but I think the, the, the larger point was, you know, working uh, with those teachers, with those students, visiting those parents, spending time with those teachers made us realize that the needs of teachers, students, and parents in an affordable school in a small town are so different from a high fee school or a school in a large town or a school which serves parents who themselves are well-versed in English. And that really, that deep insight and understanding was the uh, foundation on which the whole lead school system ended up getting built. But but Pita, if you want to just spend some time talking about the English program, because that's really at the core of a lot of what we do, that'll be helpful. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh... Uh, there, you know, I, I shared earlier about the reading program that I did with my own kids, and I guess the the both. I mean, I think the 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 learning I had during that time was that just like uh, children, you know, normally absorb language and learn language mostly in an auditory manner, right? Because they're listening to adults, you know, when they're babies, they're listening to adults, and they're just connecting those meanings, right? That x word means something because they've seen it and someone has pointed at it multiple times in the same manner they can actually decode things in print because things in print are also 
like images and pictures, just like, you know, real life objects and people are. Um, and, and you know, so some of that and then also uh, by the time, like both, both my kids actually, uh, I put them in a Montessori school and I was fairly, again, involved in terms of understanding the Montessori system. And phonics is a very fundamental approach in which they uh, uh, build language uh, skills. And Montessori as a system is a more skill-based system versus a knowledge-based system. You know, and how do you get young kids uh, build early literacy and numeracy skills? So, you know, those were things which uh, which which were something that I had even put together as part of my work with the Anganwadis. And hence, that's how, uh, you know, when we started the school in Areri, Shantini Ketan, we started from nursery to grade three in the first year. And a lot of my focus went in developing our early childhood program, you know, from nursery to uh, senior KG, which was not anchored on any textbooks or anything. It was purely, you know, uh, I, I built it with another, uh, you know, educator who came from an IB system uh, because my kids were going to an international school and, uh, you know, very integrated approach, very skill-based approach. And we built that. And and when uh, we identified this problem that Sumit was talking about, right, that even in math, actually, the challenge was English language. We basically at that point, you know, the, the research that we did was that, you know, English language actually across the world and in the more successful education systems is taught as a skill, again, as a language skill and not as a subject. And what that really means is that, you know, getting kids to decipher and decode a language means they need to both un understand meaning throughout, like words have meaning, and they also need to understand how do those words even come together and how do I piece those things together. So we we basically took some of those principles, uh, you know, used uh, used the Singapore framework, which is a very very robust English language learning framework because that's a non-native English speaking country, but like India has uh, has an English medium based school system, so kids right. need to be fluent with that language, though that's not their native language to begin with, uh, and and we basically then built the entire English uh, language and general awareness program and which actually is split into five sort of components or sub subjects. The, the other thing that we did was, uh, you know, there was this one educator who worked with us, very young uh, lady from uh, TFI, Teach for India. And, uh, you know, she was working very, she was the, our first employee, really. And she was uh, Karen. Uh, Karen was working with Sumit and me. And she asked me this question one day that, you know, Smita, we have only 40 kids in school from grade one to three. And they pretty much, you know, they, they're all at different English levels. And the struggle is that in a third third standard classroom, the teacher is struggling because different kids are at different level. So will you be okay if I group them differently? And I said, it's our school. Yeah, we should do what's right for kids. She's like, you know, but then it will not be a normal school timetable. And I told her, I was like, Karen, who cares? Like, who, you know, it, 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 it cannot be that all school timetables have to be the same. I mean, that's a shame, right? So... Uh, she was, I, I remember she was elated because she's like, really, can I do it? I said, that's the benefit of your own school. Of course we can do it. And that's when we developed the level-based program. We did our early experiments, which now what we do with the ELGA program at, at scale is we basically do baseline assessments of any student who comes into the LEAD system. We assess them for English language skills. 
the way we assess it is basically by giving them uh, a new text that they've never read before. And then, you know, they have to read it independently and answer uh, comprehension questions of different levels of difficulty. And they read multiple texts and different levels of texts and which, you know, now uh, we basically very easily are, you know, technology helps you with all this, right? We very easily are able to figure out what is a child's actual English skill level. And then our ELGA program, actually, it's a it's a learning path where irrespective of what age you are and what grade you are, you start on that learning path from where your current skill set is. So you start from there. So, you know, you're actually able to move forward. And, and then it's like an accelerated path where every child uh, at least goes through uh, anything between one and a half to two and a half years of skill development within one academic cycle. That's how we've designed it. Uh, and I think that's been at the core of our success uh, with students. So ELGA program is for the primary years or even in middle years? Yeah, so uh, we've now is... extended. Uh, so we, yeah, ELGA, uh, ELGA is actually there right from pre-primary. We don't call it ELGA. In pre-primary, we keep it like an integrated program. But the journey starts from nursery. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we break it out into ELGA only in grade one because that's where the school systems are today. They, they still treat subjects differently. But yeah, so ELGA goes all the way from grade one to now grade eight because, you know, uh, we uh, what, what we've seen is that uh, in, in small town India where we, you know, where we serve uh, students and schools, um, there is anything between two and a half to almost five years of English learning gap. And, and no wonder the kids are struggling across subjects. So, yeah, so we actually extended the program up until grade eight now. So uh, let me recap what I understood. Uh, you could have some child who joins in class fifth. And while he would have class fifth's academic uh, timetable, but he would also have a couple of hours every week in the ELGA program where he may be sitting with class three students because that's what his level is at yeah so think of it as the the, the timetable you know it's it's the same six hour timetable but the kid has two classes so the child will walk into school and go to an elga class they don't know whether that is you know low or high they just know it's my elga five class or elga six class or elga seven class and then they finish and this finish, class is yeah not uh, by the age here it's yeah like it's, it's here yeah it's level. mixed age group and then they basically after they finish their elga class which is the first uh, one uh, the, the first two hours in school uh, then they then they, they they pick up their bag and they go to their grade level math or evs class now what happens is that you know theoretically speaking you could have grade 3 and grade 5 students sit together but you know normally see the thing is that uh, the reason why the kids are behind grade level is more a school level problem. It's not a child level problem, you know, because they, these kids have not been exposed to such sort of learning. So pretty much the gaps in a school are similar. So, you know, we land up with similar age groups and not dramatically different age groups, uh, you know, but, but we do have some overlap, you know, between like two, two years and kids are quite okay. Uh, we, we don't land up with, you know, like a 13-year-old sitting with a 7- or 8-year-old. Typically, that never happens unless, let's say, the 13-year-old comes from, you know, uh, has made a switch from a vernacular school. And, and typically, again, I mean, school, outlier cases. Yeah, outlying cases. And, you know, those we help the school manage the classrooms in a way that it is also age-appropriate, in a way that the kids are, you know, they are, they're able to work together. 
uh, we find that actually kids uh, experience tremendous success because now they're able to understand stuff see otherwise this child is coming into a fifth grade class not comprehending anything uh, and and here they're succeeding and actually kids don't care about which are the grade they're sitting with what they really care about is experiencing success themselves and and you know in our own in in our own schools with in our early experiments i know that there were siblings who were 3 years apart sitting in the same elga class and they had no problems and i remember you know this was i think in um karmala school i remember after the first year like in the first year when we put them together the parents came and spoke to me and they asked me that uh, you know will they be okay will our girls be okay and i said we'll take care that they'll be okay and if they're emotionally not set, settling in the class we will you know we will solve this we'll figure this out we'll separate this but let's not force the kid into a different elga level and they they kept faith and i remember at the end of the year the parents you know and and in in, in small towns you know for, for for parents it's a very it's so important to see their kids succeed and i remember the father came and uh, you know he was almost in tears and he said i never thought that my kid could do this and the older kid had become an introvert before she came into our school because of the fact that she was not succeeding she was not following anything and now she was experiencing success in all classes so uh, 13 to 16 you ran uh, just one single school like how how did you pay your bills <laughs> uh, so i think we are really poor uh, you must understand that uh, i think uh, one of the one of the books which have which has had a big influence on both me and smita uh, is rich dad poor dad i think we read it in 2002 uh, i remember and then we decided that what is it that we need how much do we need Uh, to basically take care of our needs and our needs are very basic akshay i think a uh, good education for the kids and uh, some bit of travel i think otherwise yeah we we not uh, like fancy cars and homes and stuff we not that so we we decided that you know we will need an x amount uh, for us to become uh, what you know the book says financially independent and then we are free to pursue really what we want to do with our life versus you know having to work to pay emis and our bills i think till date we are amongst the least paid in the company <laughs> no, no, no. so so till 17 you were running that one school like when did the scale up happen from beyond one school oh yeah so to uh, 2013 14 15 3 years we ran that first school 2015 we uh, got the three schools in maharashtra and we opened a new one uh, of ours so we became, we went from one to five uh, to 2000 so you got three schools like this was like a franchise no, no, we bought we bought those like basically these were running schools so we bought the license and uh, and we started uh, running those three schools so they are our own they run by the same trust that smita had set up earlier and in mangaon we set up another school which was bought the land and constructed the building and all of that yeah. and and here we actually put in our savings I, I, till then i think you know for the shantiketan school also we put in our savings but it was not such a huge amount uh but but here now we had sort of committed our life to this work and uh you know we 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 put in uh some of our savings to so like like in 16 you were a private school chain essentially where you had five uh, branches yes yeah. actually at that time uh, it wasn't just five we we were at one point running uh, i think 10 11 schools because we had uh, partnered with the government of uh, like municipal corporation of delhi and we were running four government schools there uh, 
because uh, I think, yeah, we wanted to basically see if you could make a difference in the government school system. Uh, so yeah, in 2016, if you ask me, we had uh, five of our own and then four government schools and two schools have been there which had come in uh, looking to partner with us, you know. So they had said, okay, you know, you're doing some good work. Can you partner? So it was like a motley collection of 10, 11 schools. Uh, and one path for us was we can continue to now grow these schools and then invest back the surplus to open more schools. But we could clearly see that that's going to be a very slow path to scale. And, you know, in our lifetime, we'll get to about 40, 50 schools. And when we did the math, it realized, we realized that it's not going to be even a drop in the ocean because literally India has some 1.5 million schools. Uh, and also we were realizing... These are like a combined government, private, everything? Yes, 1.5 million is all. And 1 million is government and the rest is private. Uh and we also realized that, you know, from an investable uh, vehicle, owned schools is not very investable because of the regulatory concerns, which a lot of investors have. Uh, so the, the, that was a fork in the road where we were thinking that, you know, now that you've developed a system and, you know, these a couple of inbound interests also told us that other schools can benefit from it. Uh, and then we looked kind of aside and said, okay, you know, there are these 400, 500,000 schools, private schools, uh, rather than looking at adding more capacity, should we actually go and uh, work with them and improve their outcomes? So this was the process of uh, thinking in 2016, where we had these two choices, you know, whether we keep on opening more schools or should we go and partner with existing schools? And we chose the, the latter uh, because it seemed more scalable. Uh, we could We could actually accelerate our impact because you know the capacity was already installed and uh, it was also investable and that, that's the decision making we went through and then we approached a couple of people and then elevar came on board hmm. okay so uh, once elevar came on board is when you decided to kind of uh scale it up as a school in a box kind of a solution or like what was the solution that yeah uh, so i think uh, post elevar the solution has evolved it's not fundamentally changed because fundamentally the solution is what we were implementing in our own schools it basically is that uh, if you give me a building and it has teachers and students uh, and you implement lead school then all stakeholders get what they need to deliver a great running school so teachers get their learning materials students get their books workbooks parents get uh, a monitoring system uh, school principal gets a monitoring system school owner can manage his school administration coordinator everybody gets what they need uh, so it's literally like a school in a box because now everybody is equipped and enabled to do their job better so that the sum total of all it is a great running school. How much of your school in a box is uh, a physical product like a book and how much of it is like a digital product? Uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, hard to share, I mean, hard to think of percentages, but basically uh, I think it is configured around what is right for each stakeholder. So for a student, uh, they need the physical material. Uh, so they have the books and they have the workbooks. And then a lot of the audiovisual they need is in the in the classroom. Uh, and they have assessments. Teachers need lesson plans, resources, uh, assessment, analysis, remedials, attendance, all of that. So that's digital. Uh, principals require a system to not only manage their school, but also monitor performance. So that's digital. Uh, parents also require a digital way to monitor. So a lot of those are apps. But in the school, uh, 
for teaching learning, what we realize is you got to start from what is required to deliver great learning, which is multimodal. So there is audiovisual, there is kinesthetic, and there is auditory, which translates into books and workbooks and assessment for students, uh, teaching learning material for the school, which teachers and students can use, and uh, uh, physical hardware, which is required to deliver. So, you know, every classroom to get transformed into a smart class requires certain hardware. So all of this is put together into a school in a box. And what about like a human resource perspective? Like a lot of teachers may not be able to use what you're providing them. So do you like also send trainers to schools to upskill the teachers and all that? Like, is that part of the yeah. solution? Yeah. See, I think uh, uh, one of our big learnings uh, early on was that the traditional teacher training model also had to be uh, completely appended because it wasn't working. So what we have done is we basically a lot of the teacher training and capability building happens through the product itself. Uh, and then uh, the role of the trainer really is a coach uh, because now there is data available on what's happening, right? So that person can actually analyze and then uh, personalize the intervention for teachers. So our, what we call our excellence managers, their role is to observe and coach. So they go observe okay. how their teachers are teaching and then they give very simple inputs on what alteration the teacher needs to make in her behavior. So it's not cognitive, it's very behavioral. What does she need to change in her teaching learning approach or habit or practice in the classroom for learning to happen? So the role of the uh, our person has changed. It's not come and conduct the session and do training. It's observe and coach and then uh, also help the principal sometimes make school level interventions. Okay. How did you create these excellence coaches? I mean, this seems like a pretty uh, unique kind of a role. You would not be able to hire someone easily for it. So uh, I think this was a massive whiteboard exercise where we basically said, what does a school over 10 months of an academic year looks like? And at what point would teachers need what? Right? Because you've got to start from the user. And uh, then we created what we call like the seven steps of excellence in a school. Uh, and I think the, the early work, uh, when they were, when, given that we had run schools, it was fairly intuitive. The task for us was to break down or deconstruct what we intuitively knew into steps that everybody else could replicate. Uh, so that work uh, happened in 2017 when we got our first cohort of schools to partner. And the first year was very close observation on, okay, we are implementing this. Is it working, not working? And then we made some minor tweaks. And now it's gone through cycles of implementation for us to know that if we do these certain things with teachers in the beginning of the academic year, through the year, after the first midterm assessment, and then later, results come. So so I think yeah, that that's the, the whole experience of having run our own schools actually uh, has been fundamental to developing this excellence model. And then hiring these people, uh, we've, we've got a lot of good people from Teach for India, for example, because they have they have uh, the right kind of uh, experience set and mindset. And then uh, now we have now we also learned how to get them on board and orient and train and coach them so that they can get, become good excellence managers. Hmm. Okay. So how has uh, Lead School changed uh, post getting uh, funded? You know, like once you are a VC funded organization, then I'm sure it would have led to a certain amount of transformation. There are stakeholders who have expectations and uh, 
probably there is more pressure to grow now you know so so what have those changes been for you as founders and how have you navigated that journey i think before sumit answers that i i have to say i think especially for the pressure to grow right i think if, if there's one thing that sumit has always brought to the table for all of us and and you know because i've been his co-founder right from the beginning is that the pressure of growth always comes from sumit Uh, not from any of the investors and i think we've been through now cycles where both elevar and even our most recent investor they sometimes say that hey maybe you know maybe it it's okay for you to uh, uh have growth targets which are a little lesser that will be okay but but we have very high growth targets and i think a lot of that comes from sumit's uh, sense of urgency to bring this to a lot of kids uh but yeah sumit i will let you answer the rest No, no, I, no. I, I, I mean, guilty as charged here. I think <laughs> I am, I am uh, admittedly impatient because I feel that every year we don't reach more students. You know, we are losing generations, and you know, you might think that is uh, naive or whatever. But I, I mean, the whole reason for setting this up was a deep sense of purpose. You know, we never thought that we we're going to build a large company and you know make wealth for our investors. The idea was there are these many students who are getting poor learning. How can we, how can we get them good learning? and fundamentally i think uh, again i would go back to my childhood you know i come from a partition uh, affected family so right from the beginning uh, patriotism and you know love for india has been very deeply imbued in us so if i feel that you know what we are doing can actually you know have a role to play in changing the arc of uh, the our future or you know impacting millions of students lives then why not so, so that's where it comes from and uh, I mean, I guess yeah. I mean, we are all driven by a high sense of possibility that this can happen. So, honestly, and the other thing, actually, I would say is that we've been uh, both intentional and then fortunate in searching for the right partners and getting them. So, when we did our Series A, we were very clear that we wanted somebody who understands uh, what we are trying to build, and you know, uh, there is that mission alignment. Otherwise, it will not work. And we found that in Elevar, you know, we were very happy with Elevar, and now with Westbridge also. we had interest from other uh, firms but again in westbridge you found somebody who of course is you know your regular pe growth oriented but uh, you know sandeep as a partner very uh, invested in education you know you see his personal work also uh, has a deep sense of purpose so when investors are acting as mission aligned partners then you don't have uh, misalignment of incentives and interests and you can focus on solving the problem and knowing that they have your back so we've been fortunate in in that regard i would say i would i would add that not only fortunate but also very choiceful and intentional because i i think we are both uh, you know sumit and me are very very clear about why we are doing this and to be very honest i think the motivation for both of us when we started and even today is that we want a different future for our country and we believe that that you know a, a much better future is possible only if many more of our kids are a lot more educated and aware and that's how you know they will change the future of this country that's really the purpose we also fundamentally believe that if you do good work uh, people will make money in the process you know so for for that i think we are fiscally very responsible uh, we are responsible towards our investors and board in terms of how we make decisions and you know uh, we we work long enough in a corporate environment to know what are the boundary conditions within which one should work 
to ensure that all stakeholders are getting their due return. Uh, but because that's been the mission of the organization, I think we've also attracted uh, and, and we've been very particular about bringing investors who are also personally very interested in this. And it's true for both the Sandeeps. Sadeep Faryas uh, and, you know, Jyotsna from Elevar, they're personally very committed and interested in student learning. We were the first education investment they made. Um, and uh, they, you know, uh, of course, understand business really well. And they've been great partners in this growth journey. And the same thing is true now with uh, Westbridge. Ever since we set up this organization, you know, the, the biggest, the, the two biggest goals that the whole company rallies around is student outcomes. So uh, mastery levels achieved by students in different uh, subject and skill areas and number of students we serve. That's Those are the two, we, we internally call them WIGs, wildly important goals. Those are the two goals that the entire company chases. We have not put uh, revenue and profit goals there. We've not put a valuation goal there and that's very intentionally chosen by us because that was the reason why we built this organization it was not to build our wealth so how many schools are you at now we currently i think we would have reached by now 900 i think 800 was in the last cycle we've we've signed 100 more by now uh so because the next cycle has also started uh yeah so around three lakh plus students uh, yeah so in a way you've just scratched the surface because if you said there are about half a million private schools so there's like a huge uh, uh, market waiting to be tapped so so you know w- what do you see as like the kind of trajectory that you'd be taking and you know w- what's your vision like see i think uh, w- what we want to do uh, akshay is that uh, in in education uh, you know scale scale will beget standards uh, so if you are if you are able to get to a place where you know 8 10 12 million students are learning under the lead system uh, then you've already created conditions for change to happen you know where uh, for affordable schools what should be the right standards uh, that conversation will actually get started currently it's it's very very fragmented uh, and you know people look at education uh, as if it's it's a homogeneous, you know, one block, but it isn't. So uh, the idea is in the next four or five years, we get to serve about 10, 12 million students. And uh, I mean, the there is still going to be a lot of work ahead to do. Uh, but, you know, what I've learned now is that uh, solving such a big problem or group, building an organization is like going on a trek, right? You aim for one peak and when you reach there, then there are three more peaks waiting for you. So our next peak is to get to about a 10 million student level. And as we get closer to it, I think we will then restate our goals for the next five years. Hmm. Okay. 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 So uh, what is like a a product roadmap uh, from that perspective? You know, like, do you see uh, the, the same product continuing or do you see it getting more digital? Like, how do you see that evolving? Uh, See, I think this, uh, we've got to basically ensure that whatever we do is anchored on what is right for the child. Uh, And given the segment we are working with, you know, unless, you know, device and data becomes ridiculously cheap, we've got to uh, ensure that ultimately excellent education is both affordable and accessible. Uh, So 
within that contours, we'll continue to innovate. So uh, one of the things that we want to continue to innovate is uh, making life easy for the teacher so that it is very easy and simple for her to be able to teach excellently. Whatever that we need to do to make that happen, we'll continue to do. Every, every year we have learnings on what more we can do, how better we can make the teacher app and how we can help her. Uh, second axis is how can we help each child learn, you know, and school is a one is to 40 mass learning environment. And in that, if we have to really help every child learn, we will have to continue to uh, innovate both on tech and pedagogy. So again, you know, that's a continuous uh, pursuit of, you know, getting to the last child, you know, ensuring no child is kind of left. Uh, and there are a lot of uh, work required in school systems, process, pedagogy and technology. Uh, and then on top of that, I think we need to focus on how can we make school systems better? You know, their uh, technology can definitely play a role. You know, the transformation which happened in banks when they moved from the Bahikata system to the core banking system, I think that transformation is awaited in, in school system and we want to lead that. Uh, so there, I think definitely uh, technology can play a part in not only bringing the cost of operations lower for a school owner, but also making the school more effective and efficient by ensuring data is available, analytics are available, and a lot of non-value-add work can be automated. So th those are the directions in which we have to move. And again, they're not going to be, uh, it's like chiseling a stone to create a sculpture. Right? Every year, we continue to become better. And we also continue to ride the tide of technology, uh, data devices becoming cheaper. So we can keep on increasing the access to those for our, for our kids. What is the pricing like for lead school? Like uh, a school owner needs to pay how much for getting the lead school system in his school? Uh, see, uh, the, the way to think about this is that earlier uh, it was prohibitive for a school to get transformed because there was a heavy capex amount, you know. In uh, so, in if if I break it down, for a school to actually transform itself, it has to do a physical transformation of converting all their schools to uh, classes into smart classes and you know hardware, software, all of those LAN connections to put together. So that was prohibitive. Uh, and second uh, is that, you know, if you have to uh, ensure all the teaching, learning materials and curriculum is available, that comes at a certain cost. And then teacher capability building. Typically, schools would uh, uh, use experience as a surrogate for skill and therefore have to pay high. Uh, what we have done is we've said, okay, you know, let's look at the total cost for a school. And if they were to do it through disaggregated systems, they'll end up spending about six to 7,000 rupees per child per year. And if we can half that cost uh, and still make it possible for a school because now it is a single stack, one-stop solution, then uh, transformation is possible and affordable. So, so that's been the design principle. And what, what, we have, what we have now aim is that a typical school charges about 25 to 30,000 per annum fees of our target. And if we can basically provide a solution which is 8 to 10% of that, we should be okay. So that's the pricing target that we keep uh, so that on a per child per year basis, it is it is not a capex, it's an opex for the school and it's affordable for parents. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, do you have competitors in this field like other companies? Uh, whom do you see as competitors actually? Do you see uh, other companies who are offering schools a similar service like Exceed as competitors or do you even see someone like a Baiju's as a competitor? Uh, see, if you look at it currently, uh, schools 
for for the plethora of needs that we fulfill for some needs there is no solution at the moment in the in the system and for other needs there are disaggregated solutions so for some part of the need somebody like a curriculum provider like exceed could play a part somebody like a publisher could play a part some smart class provider could play a part some teacher training company could play a part so these are all disaggregated solutions right uh, i i don't know of anyone who actually provides a single stack solution which is like a school in a box uh, to the depth that we provide uh, somebody could reach 70% of what we provide some could be just 20% if it's a simple publisher uh, our single biggest competition so far pre covid has been uh, just inertia and the fact that you know uh, adoption of innovation follows that whole curve of early adopters late adopters laggards and stuff right so we were going through that now covid actually has accelerated it because schools were sitting ducks when this happened and they were not able to provide uninterrupted learning to their children when this happened uh so our hope is that you know this has been a wake up call and there could be a far more uh, open adoption of innovation uh, because fundamentally if we have to improve uh, school systems then we need to approach it from a system based thinking and therefore integrated systems like ours are the way to go uh, otherwise disaggregated systems you know for the last 60 years they have not made a difference so i don't know how they will make a difference in the next year i expect a lot more integrated systems to kind of come in uh, as we become more successful uh, and we just have to continuously focus on innovating and giving our students the best and not looking over our shoulder and worrying about competition because it's really it's a really large market so uh, covid has been pretty harsh on schools with schools struggling to collect fees uh, you know so has that impacted uh, your uh, business like have some schools discontinued because they didn't have enough money or have you seen an increase in inquiries and leads uh, i would say a bit of both see uh, there is there is no doubt that a lot of the uh I mean, the, the the waters are currently muddied uh, you know because of this whole uh, stuff that is happening with covid so it's very difficult to kind of locate the bottom when the when the waters are muddied so we got to just wait and see how it settles down and i think uh, see we are in long term contracts with our school so there is no worry about the school accounts going away uh, they have temporary uh, interruptions and problems with their parents and we are supporting them our focus has been how can we support these schools in providing uninterrupted learning so whether it is lead school at home or whether it is our platform which our school partners teachers can use to teach we have been uh, been there for them and given what we are doing now as the next academic year becomes closer uh, schools are thinking about what would they want to do next academic year and that's why that's where our uh, additional school sales are are coming in so i think as long as we focus on supporting our schools to deliver online learning to their parents uh, and and not get too hassle and worried about the temporary interruption i think we are okay uh, and given that you know we've uh, uh, we've, we've we've basically got the next sales cycle going i think we are focusing on how do we now reach to more schools and more students and uh, we are again beginning to see good adoption now for next year So that was Sumit and Smita telling us how they built Lead School. If you like to know more, log on to leadschool.in. This was an HD Smartcast original. 
Log on to hdsmartcast.com to listen to more such podcasts and don't forget to subscribe to the show through hdsmartcast.com Apple Spotify or wherever you get podcasts